More Than a Movie is back with season two. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like, I want to confront anything in my life that feels challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Welcome to today's edition of the Clay Travis and Buck Sexton Show podcast. Hour two of Clay and Buck starts right now, everybody. Thank you for joining from all across the country. 800-282-2882. I was going to talk to you about Fauci, and I will. The little Fauci is not going to escape. But, because we'll discuss the latest with him in a moment. This was just, though, um, flashing up on the screen. And I I wanted to discuss for just a, a couple of moments here. It's a big deal Um, what the White House, what the Biden administration position on a ceasefire in Ukraine seems to be. Now, the White House is going to be briefing soon. I'm sure this will be addressed by uh, Karine Jean-Pierre. We know how that's going to go. But. The Chinese visit of Xi Jinping, the premier of, of uh, China, Xi Jinping, has visited Russia for the first time. And this is a this is a major step, I think, in the consolidation of what is essentially the national security nightmare for the United States in a real and long term and strategic sense, a sense, which is a Russia China axis. Think about the uh, the population, geographic, and material that is brought to bear if those two countries become very close and dear allies to each other. Now, this is in the early stages, but the vision of Xi Jinping to Russia to say to Vladimir Putin's face, we are going to be dear friends and we want to work more with you. This should be setting off alarm bells. Everybody who's, you know, oh, you know, Slava Ukraine and, you know, Ukraine flags everywhere and all this stuff. Ukraine flags all over, um, you know, all this stuff, right? Uh, the people that have been thinking about that, what happens if the U.S. starts to face off against a world in which Russia and China are allied against our interests? We aren't that powerful, folks. We, we can't just ignore this. 
So this brings me then to the next bit of news from all of this, which is that already the White House has said, the Biden White House has said that um, a China-brokered ceasefire uh, between Russia and Ukraine is unacceptable. John Kirby just said on Friday that it would be ratifying Russian conquest. In fact, it goes even further than that. It goes even further than that and suggests that not only, this is from the Biden White House, not only do you have to have Russia withdraw all the way um, from what it has taken through the a war that started about, what now, 13 months ago, not only would that have to happen, but also... Crimea, which had the referendum under the Obama administration, and you can say it's a phony referendum and it was under duress, whatever, fine. It wasn't an invasion. It was a referendum of some kind. And Crimea has to go back to Ukraine as well. We are now, our position, I want everyone to be clear because you're not going to hear this from that many people. You're certainly not going to hear this from Democrats who pretend to care about peace and, you know, human rights and decency, is that we cannot have a ceasefire a ceasefire, not a, you know, treaty of friendship, you know, not not a long-term truce. We cannot have a ceasefire brokered by China until Russia understands that it is giving back every inch of Ukrainian territory, every inch, including Crimea, which was not seized with force. And I would have to assume this also means the Donbass region, which had been under Russian domination... Stretching back now since, what, 2013? Ten years. Oh, okay, so now this is a war of, of Russia has to lose across the board even beyond what it had in the initial invasion a year ago. This is crazy. I, I just... You know, I, I know it's so easy to say, oh, you're, you, stop being a Putin stooge, and don't you... Yeah, I, I feel for the Ukrainian people... I wish the Ukrainians could, you know, could just the cavalry would show up and the bad guys would have to run for the hills and Ukraine would be Ukrainian again. But Russia and China are now teaming up. Okay, this is happening. This is real in a way that could really affect our long term economic interests, but also our long term national security interests, our safety as a nation. I mean, does anybody really think and and I know right now this should be this is crazy. Does anyone really think that? We'd be able to handle things if it if it heated up between Russia and China. Really, you think that you think that that's going to be something we want to deal with going forward? Uh, you think that if China decides to invade Taiwan and has full Russian backing and a, I don't know, maybe who knows where this with goes with uh, where this goes in the future? Maybe a you know mutual defense treaty of some kind. You know, things can get very precarious for us very fast. What matters more to American interests right now? That every inch of Ukrainian territory is liberated from Russia? Or that we are being farsighted here? That we are looking ahead into the future and understand that a Russia-China axis against us, aligned against us in Ukraine, and therefore also globally, is a big challenge for the United States. Oh, we're going to turn to our uh, 
our neighbors in Europe to really help us out. Good luck with that. They got their own problems. But I, I have to say it is, this is what Kirby said. Russia would be free to use a ceasefire, a ceasefire, a stop the shooting. Okay. This isn't even universal agreement about what's going to happen. No, no, no. This is just stop the bullets, stop the bombs, and let's talk. This is the White House position from, uh, from Kirby, the, uh, what is he, the Pentagon? No, I'm sorry, national security spokesperson on Friday. Russia would be free to use a ceasefire to only further entrench their positions in Ukraine to rebuild, refit, and refresh their forces so they can restart attacks on Ukraine at a time of their choosing. A sustainable peace has got to be one that is not one-sided and fully incorporates Ukrainian perspectives and respects the basic idea of sovereignty. What is this? What is the Biden White House talking about? You want to have a conversation that fully respects the equities of all sides, or at least takes them into account. You got to stop the casualties. You got to have a conversation. You know, you think about uh, the greatest conflicts in his. First of all, you know the Democrats, of course. Uh, you know whether it was Vietnam or you know you go to all all the recent wars they were opposed to, unless it was a war that had no U.S. interest involved whatsoever. If it had no U.S. interest, the Democrats are on board. Um. You know, if it's Libya, for example, Democrats are on board. That's great. Sign them up. Well, actually, not sign them up to fight. Sign them up to say they like it and send, you know, your children to go fight that war. Um, or in the case of Libya, it was really our NATO allies in an air campaign and then destroyed the country and allowed it to turn into a anarchic, uh, hellhole. But I, I'm, I'm telling you right now, the fact that they are, they are straight up saying no ceasefire. That to me is, this is maniacal. What, what's the, if there's a ceasefire, th- that is to suggest that we think that the, that the Ukrainians are, are on the offensive. How many times have you heard in the last year? Oh, Russia, you know, Russia's on its back feet. Oh, we've, you know, on the one hand, they keep telling us the Ukrainian military is ready to go take the fight to their Russian enemy. And, and on the other hand, they're saying, Oh my gosh, if we don't get them more of these missiles, like the whole thing is going to collapse. Well, which is it? Who has the momentum here or who, who is gaining and who is losing territory? And, and the reality is that it's a meat grinder and you have the closest thing you've seen in a long time to a World War One style stalemate in the east of Ukraine, uh, in any, in any conflict that we've seen, certainly in, in Europe in a long time. There's a, there's a line, there's a line of, of demarcation, of separation between the combatants, effectively. There's a front. You know, this isn't counterinsurgency operations in Iraq, Afghanistan, other places. This isn't trying to just find the pockets of jihadists or, you know, enemy combatants and, and to dispatch them and try to provide clean water and sewage treatment facilities and electricity to the population in the hopes that they're thankful, which of course they won't be, but we won't talk about Iraq right now or Afghanistan. And here we are being told no ceasefire until, until what exactly? Uh, they're saying the ceasefire would entrench Russian interests. The only way that you could explain this, as far as I can see, is that our, the position of the Biden White House is ultimately a position that you have, you know, it, it is a, a position of, um, a maximalist. 
It is the maximalist defeat of Russia. They, they must be destroyed and kicked out of every inch of Ukraine. And to this I just say, why is it that this urgency now for the Donbass and for Crimea is also added? They have been Russian Federation territory, certainly Crimea and effectively Donbass, for almost a decade now. But so now that's on the table as well. You start to have some very dark thoughts about where all this is heading and what the Biden administration really thinks they're doing. I can't. I know people always think that they have very clear insight. You know, whenever they, whenever uh, this sort of thing comes up, is it incompetence or malevolence? Are they just bad at this, this Biden White House? Are they just pretty dumb? Or is there something else going on here? Is their ideology, do they realize the risk they're running and the ideology is blinding them to what is happening here? I mean, I'm, I, I have not seen a single person who knows anything about how the operations in, in Russia and Ukraine, how military conflict goes in the real world, right? Not at, not at think tank desks and not sitting around and, and, and spouting off on, on cable news about it. People who actually know how conflict goes, I haven't seen a single one argue that this is not going to be a multi-year conflict from from where we are right now. So it's not, do we want to keep sending Russia, I'm sorry, sending Ukraine missiles and and, and ordnance and, and munitions now? They always make it seem like that. Oh, just we just got to keep it going. We're so close. We're so close. Just keep it going. Do you want to send them munitions and missiles and get deeper into this conflict and watch the China-Russia axis harden and become more potent to force economically, politically, and yes, militarily on the world stage. Do you want to watch that happen for the next three years, the next five years? Who knows? Maybe the next 10 years. And at what cost also? Already in for $100 billion plus, and that's just the money we know about. That's not the off-budget stuff, if you know what I mean. So, okay. How much more? A trillion dollars? Is the Donbass being in Ukrainian hands? Is Crimea being Ukraine again worth a trillion dollars of taxpayer money to you? Maybe the answer is yes. I just wish the people in charge would be honest with you about that. Instead, they keep making it seem like, you know, we're almost there. We're just, just, just stay in this. We're almost there. They're going to be telling you we're almost there for years at this current rate. And that's assuming nothing awful happens in terms of escalation. I mean, there are ways it could get even worse. But when they're saying no ceasefire until Russia is out of every... Remember, ceasefire, not truce, not peace treaty, no ceasefire until Russia understands that it has to leave every bit of Ukrainian territory. What are we setting ourselves up for here? Telling you, the people in charge, malevolent or stupid, it's really... It's really, you can make an argument to me that either one, I know it's both, but one of them is more the case, and it's starting to feel more malevolent to me. You've heard us talk about how huge asset managers, names you know, are using your retirement funds to further their ESG agenda. You don't need people playing politics with your retirement funds. You want solid investments that maximize returns for your retirement. State treasuries across the U.S. are sending a stop playing politics with pensions message by divesting $5 billion from some of these companies. 25 states are suing 
to block this nonsense of climate activism from endangering your hard-earned funds. Republicans on Capitol Hill just passed a bill blocking the Biden administration from allowing these companies from using your money to further their ESG agenda. Conservatives in the House and Senate have your back, but President Biden threatens to veto any bill that blocks ESG madness. These huge fir- these huge firms have a fiduciary duty to maximize returns. They should be held accountable for playing politics with pensions and doing it without our consent. To learn how Consumers Research is protecting all of us from these woke investment firms, go to consumersresearch.org. That's consumersresearch.org. From the front lines of truth, Clay Travis and Buck Sexton. More Than a Movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast, and this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic. And then Carvin and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. On Purpose is dedicated to helping you be happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how he got comfortable with fear, navigating the changes in relationships, and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. This conversation shows a never-seen-before side to Orlando Bloom and his unique life journey. I think we all struggle sometimes to really deeply believe that we are enough, that we're valued, that we're valuable. You know, we're imprinted by our parents from the age of zero to seven, right? Mm. I'm constantly trying to go, like, how do I detach from my this idea of, what, do, is, that, is that my baggage? I look like my baggage. I mean, I know, oh, okay, that's mine. Let's unpack that. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. Stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. The radical left Democrats are using their prosecutors to try and steal another election. There's never been a time like this in the history of our country. It will be a lot tougher for them to cheat and rig the election like they did in 2020. And that's why they're using their city, state, and federal prosecutors. They are using them like has never happened before in our country. Republicans in Congress are watching closely. The DOJ should stop. We have to get our country back. The DOJ, the FBI, the local prosecutors should all stop. That was President Trump over the weekend, and he's talking about 
the looming indictment and arrest that he may face tomorrow. But as we said, we have uh, Sen- uh, Senator J.D. Vance of Ohio with us now. Senator Vance, appreciate you making the time for us. Um, I want to talk East Palestine. I know you do, too. But can I just get your reaction to all the reporting over the weekend that the former president, number 45, Donald J. Trump, is probably going to be arrested in the next 48 hours or so? What do you think's going on here? Well, I certainly hope it's not true, but I fear that it is because I've lost a lot of faith in some of these Soros-backed prosecutors. If you, if you really look at what's happened to the local criminal justice system in our country, uh, these prosecutors come into town. They basically shut down a lot of violent criminal prosecution. It's one of the reasons why you see murder rates skyrocketing. That's certainly been true in New York City, and yet this guy is going after Donald Trump. And I, and I think, obviously, you know, because it's Trump, everybody is sort of retreating into their partisan camps. And so... You know, the, the pitch that I would make to anybody who's listening, who comes from the center, who comes from the left, is it's really not about Trump the man. It's about what he represents, right? I mean, you're talking about the likely Republican nominee in 24, certainly the former president. Uh, he is effectively the leader of the opposition for all intents and purposes. And when you have a guy who's letting violent criminals walk free, then going after the president on a misdemeanor charge, it looks and, in fact, is a, a consequence of a justice system that's more about politics than it is about real justice. You can't have a real country like that. Uh, you, know, you can't have George W. Bush, for example, prosecuting John Kerry in the middle of the 2004 campaign or Barack Obama going after Mitt Romney in the, in the middle of the 2012 campaign. This is not what functioning republics do. And the fact that so many Democrats are defending this stuff, given the prosecutorial history of this particular district attorney, it's just insane. It just strikes me that the people that have been complaining the loudest about Trump as a threat to our institutions and the threat to our uh, democracy seem to come up with new and and interesting ways to threaten our democracy all the time. Um, but but putting that aside for a moment, we'll return to that again later on in the program. Uh, Senator Vance, I know you have been following very closely and, and very involved in the situation in East Palestine. You came on the show on, uh, when I was out um, and talked about the video of how dirty the, the water was and what was going on there. First, can you just give us an update before we talk about possible legislative action for this on what's happening in East Palestine right now? Yes, yeah, so I, I was there last week. Things are certainly getting better, uh, but they're getting better very slowly. And this is the frustration that I've had. You, know, you have people like Gretchen Whitmer, the governor of Michigan, even though she has these licensed facilities that are meant to dispose of, of toxic chemicals, toxic dirt, and so forth, refusing to take this, I, I think for a time being supported by the Biden administration in her refusal to take the stuff and dispose of it. And so it's just sitting on the ground in East Palestine. When I was there last Monday, I believe, so I guess a week ago today, what I saw was, was literal mounds of toxic dirt just piling high on the sides of the railroad tracks. And you think about you know, you, you have this toxic chemical spill, you have this stuff seeping into the dirt, you have to get the dirt out of the ground and go dispose of it properly, right? Well, if you just let it sit on the ground and then it rains, then the stuff seeps back into the ground, seeps back into the ground water, and that's why people on the ground just don't feel safe. Um, somebody, I, I think, tried to pull the residents of East Palestine sort of do an objective public opinion survey, and what they found is about 70% of the residents still don't trust the quality of the air, don't trust the quality of the water, and it's important to say here, I mean, people aren't worried they're going to drink the water and drop dead the next day. They're worried about chronic exposure for their kids. And until we get this place cleaned up, they're going to continue to have those concerns. So 
we've got to finish the cleanup. The EPA, Norfolk Southern, they've got to work together, get this stuff to proper facilities, because it can't just sit out in open air in the ground in East Palestine. Speaking of Senator J.D. Vance of Ohio about East Palestine, and, and Senator, the uh, Railway Safety Act that you're proposing, I, I, I hate ever sounding naive, but looking through the, the main points and the main goals of this, this seems like the rare kind of thing that maybe Democrats would go along with and maybe Biden would sign. Where does this stand? And well, first, what does it do? You never know. I feel optimistic about the politics of it. I, I think that there are you know, three basic things that I'm trying to do with these piece of legislation. So, so number one is one of the things we already know about East Palestine is it was caused by these defective joint bearings. They basically got way too hot. There was not proper monitoring of those joint bearings as they dissolved. And then, of course, once they dissolved, the train crashed. Uh, so it, it, it would basically impose some safety standards, basically just some monitoring devices. They're very cheap. Uh, that would force our railroads to to basically prevent this stuff from happening before it happens. The second thing, and this is maybe the biggest and most important thing, is, you know, the thing I've heard from local firefighters, and I hate to say this because it's not just East Palestine, it's from a lot of places all across the state that have had these train crashes, the firefighters go into them not knowing what they're dealing with. So, so imagine this, you're a firefighter, there's a train on fire, you have no idea whether there's grain in it or whether there's some toxic chemical like there was in East Palestine. So it basically just forces the trains to notify the local authorities about what's on the trains. Uh, I think that should probably be the easiest part of the legislation to get through. I don't think many people disagree with that that piece of it, uh, Democrat or Republican. And the final thing it does, it just bumps up the fines. Um, you know, it, it, if you think of Norfolk Southern, I think operating income of about $5 billion. The crash in East Palestine, the maximum fine is $250,000, when the cost to taxpayers will be tens of millions of dollars. And I, and I think, you know, my, my pitch to Republicans, I think a lot of conservatives are, are justifiably worried. You, know, you don't want to do a knee-jerk reaction where you cause some problem for the railroad that's unnecessary. And, and yet, if you think about it, we've allowed the railroads to socialize the costs of these disasters. In East Palestine, taxpayers are already bearing to the tune of millions of dollars the cost of cleanup, the cost of supporting small businesses, the cost of taking care of people who are out of work through no fault of their own. We should expect the railroads to do their fair share here. And I think that's all we're really talking about is having a railroad sector that doesn't get bailed out by the government every time they screw up. How much of, now that you've seen really the reaction from the Biden administration, it certainly seems slow, and there was a lot of criticism in the early days of that slowness being at least in part tied to the fact that these are considered to be not Biden voters in East Palestine, right? I'm sure there are some, but it considered to be. Have they? Has the Biden White House gotten the message a little bit with this is atrocious and these are Americans and they need help? I mean, have have they increased the attention to it or are they just kind of putting it back burner? You know, the EPA sent a letter last week uh, that I was really happy about because I, I thought they had been dragging their feet and allowing Michigan to effectively get away. Uh, Gretchen Whitmer to get away with not taking care of, of some of the, the contracts that they, they need to honor uh, to get the toxic dirt out of East Palestine. Uh, so, so the EPA has picked up. Um, I, I think that, by and large, the Biden administration has just been way too slow on this. They're finally starting to show a little bit of, of, uh, of enthusiasm and a little bit of urgency. But it's it still, look, I mean, this is a 75-25 Trump to Biden area. It's very clear they want this story to go away. And I, I think that what we're trying to do is, is use their desire to make this story go away to say, look, the only way we're going to let you get it 
uh, have it go away is if you do your job, clean up this community, and then that allows everybody to get back to normal. Until then, no, we're not going to let this story die. And you guys obviously have done a, a great job on that, and I appreciate it. Senator Vance, appreciate you being with us, sir. Stay on it. Absolutely. Take care, guys. Here's a statistic that i got to share with you, and it's, it's a, a sad one. Nearly one in five pregnancies end in abortion in this country. The abortion pill, as it's referred to, is accounting for over 50% of those abortions. Countering that is an excellent and purpose-driven foundation, the Preborn Network of Clinics. They've rescued over 200,000 babies' lives by providing expectant moms an introduction to the unborn babies they're carrying through ultrasound. Once she hears that heartbeat, the majority of the time she will choose life. Without the ultrasound, the odds are not in favor of life. The ultrasound is a game changer. We've partnered with Preborn to help rescue thousands of babies this year. We're asking for your donation to this nonprofit organization. One ultrasound is just $28. Every tax-deductible donation, big or small, helps to save the unborn. Preborn receives no government funding and is completely dependent on us, the pro-life community. For just $28, you can help save a life. To donate, use your cell phone and dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250-SAY-BABY or go to preborn.com slash buck. That's preborn.com slash B-U-C-K, sponsored by Preborn. Geek out with the guys on the Sunday Hang with Clay and Buck podcast. A new episode every Sunday. Find it on the iHeart app or wherever you get your podcasts. Dr. Fauci, no longer the highest paid employee of the federal government. Think about that for a moment. Why was he making more than the head of the CDC? Why was he making more? I mean, name a federal government employee. Fauci was making more. He was making more than the president, I think, right? I mean, he's the highest paid federal government employee. So that's quite a title to have, you know. That's quite a title. Um, Certainly being in the system as long as he was was a part of it. But if you thought that he's uh, he's going to just go off into retirement and write memoirs that will be propaganda and, uh, you know, show up occasionally at Democrat rallies in 2024, because remember, he pay he plays a role here. No person who is is capable of observing reality around them and reading the most basic and rudimentary data and understanding the numbers. No person falling into those categories. B- believes anything Fauci has to say anymore and hasn't for a long time. But Fauci is very important to the Democrat base because he shows up, you know, he probably will wear a little lab coat just so he looks more official. And he'll say to them, you know, you did the right thing. When you were double, ma- when you were double masking alone in the shower day in and day out and making sure it was a short shower because, you know, conserving water when you were doing that and trying not to breathe too much in the shower because you don't want to infect yourself with your own covid you were being healthy he's there to tell democrat lunatics who believed him you know he's there to show up so that um you know wine moms in palo alto who were, were sending their their kids to their you know fancy private school with a mask on will feel better about themselves. That's what Fauci's role is, okay? But he decided to go into the 
um, historically black neighborhood of Anacostia in D.C., in Washington, D.C., and go door to door because he was battling vaccine hesitancy. I, I want to, you know, quote vaccine hesitancy. I want to take you through. And remember, I think it should be noted. And this was this was at some level a, a mistake that I will I will admit that I, I made. Um, I encouraged my own parents because they're senior citizens to get the vaccine. And I thought that it would be very helpful for them. But the data shows that, it, and by the way, they both ended up getting COVID, I think multiple times. Um, and the data doesn't actually support that beyond a short window of antibody production, it really had any meaningful. But you notice how I, I, I was willing to, the only data we had was that it was good for just like a flu shot. My parent, you know, some people, senior citizen parents get flu shots too. So I figured, okay, it's like a flu shot. So older people getting it probably makes sense. Turns out it was really about as effective as a flu shot in any given year, which is like a fifth, depends on the year, but it can be like a 50 50 shot, but it's actually less effective than that. I know um, I'm handling a lot of pieces here at once, but Fauci went to this one gentleman's door in Anacostia. And I want you to hear, I'm, I'm going to come in and come out of this soundbite with you because I really want you to hear what goes on here. Start with, uh, start with clip one. People in America are not settled with the information that's been given to us right now. So I'm not going to be lining up taking a shot on a vaccination for something that wasn't clear in the first place. And then you all create a shot in miraculous time. It takes years to create vaccination. Well, it it used to take years. Okay, it used to. You know how how many years were invested in in this approach? About 20 years of science to get us to be able to do it. 20 years is not quickly. enough. And nine months is definitely not no. enough for nobody to be taking no vaccination that yeah. you all came up with. The only yeah. reason I'm talking to you right now, well, as I'm close as we are, is that I've been vaccinated. Right. But if it allow thousands of people like you don't get vaccinated, you're going to let this virus continue to percolate in this country and in this Something world. Something like the common flu then, right? And, and not like, not it's like much the more serious than the flu. Though. Well, the flu kills well, a lot of Hold on. Hold on. Notice what the gentleman here says, the gentleman in Anacostia. So it's like the flu, right? Because the flu has been around for as long as we've all been around, and the flu is something we just live with. And we get it, and some people die, tens of thousands every year. In a bad year, sixty to 100,000 Americans can die from the flu, uh, and they're almost all severely immunocompromised and elderly, and this just happens, and we haven't been able to beat it. But notice the gentleman p- points out the flu. This That's what some of us were saying at the very beginning, about the way we should approach all of this. Yeah, if you're super sick with COVID, just like if you had a really bad cold or really bad flu, you stay home, you try not to infect other people, and you try to get better. That's it. All this other stuff, all the mitigation and the six feet of social distancing and the lockdowns and the, you know, put your feet here when you're in the elevator. That's a real thing. They did that in New York City all over the place and other places too. But also the gentleman notes that this was very quick, the, the vaccine turnaround and Fauci with his smarmy Fauci says his whole, oh, but you know, it took us 20 years of technology. Okay, Fauci. Well, they've been working on a lot of things for decades. It doesn't mean that they actually got it right. And notice the other guy says, well, nine months, you turn this thing around. What long term studies could there really be? The answer is obviously. No long-term studies, which this gentleman just intuitively understood. Now, please continue. A lot of people yeah. You know how many people vaccine. died of the flu the last year? 
I mean, not this year, virtually none, but the previous year, about 20 to 30,000. You know, how many people have died from COVID-19 in the United States? 600,000 Americans. Well, you, well, that, well the, the number that you all are giving that died, that's, that's once again, that's you all's number. You gonna pay us. Yeah, definitely. Because right. when, when you start talking about paying people to get vaccinated, when you start talking about incentivizing things to get people vaccinated, there's something else going on with that. Something, yeah, else, something it, I, else going it on. It is with something that. going yeah, on. With something it. else. You're right. But I'm glad millions of people, like me and almost everybody here, didn't get an incentive. You know what their incentive was? Protecting their health and protecting the city. Well, but that's, I, well, well, I won't keep doing it anymore. It's okay. Because my, 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 my incentive, y'all, campaign is about fear. It's about inciting fear in people. You all attack people with fear. That's what this pandemic is. It's a fear. It's fear, this pandemic. That's all it is. This gentleman is standing ovation. If I could stand, do a standing ovation here. He is, that was the mayor of DC, Muriel Bowser and Fauci on video going at this, this gentleman who's standing in front of his own home. He didn't, they're knocking on doors. Hey, excuse me. Would you get the shot, please? This guy's like, no, I'm not getting the shot. And God bless him for standing his ground and make, think about the, some of the things he, first of all, the campaign of fear, totally true. Evil tyrant Fauci. Notice he goes, 600,000 people died of COVID versus 20,000 of the flu. Okay. Well, 20 to 50,000 people die of the flu every single year. Every, I've been alive 41 years. For 41 years, we've had roughly 50,000, 20 to 50,000 people dying of the flu. And we just know that's what happens. It mutates. It's in society. But notice Fauci, they're still pretending like, if you don't get the shot, you're a bad person because you, the unvaxxed, speaking to this guy and to all of you in the audience, any of you who didn't get the shot, you are the petri dish for the next pandemic. You are the continuation of this. But you see, little Fouch, you vile scum. You know what the problem with that is? What about natural immunity? which the best studies of this have shown is even better, even better than the shot that they're making us get, which lasts for like four weeks. And who even knows if that excess antibody production does much for the four weeks? Notice no no talk of natural immunity. They have to ignore a scientific reality that has been established since the beginning of inoculation. You can go back, you can read about John Adams and his family and what they tried to do with smallpox. You can read about cowpox and smallpox and how for hundreds of years we have known that if you have exposure to the virus, you have the ability to create antibodies that defend you over the long term from the virus. This is as established as anything in immunology that exists. Fauci ignores it. Ignores it. What is the possible base? Everybody got COVID. This is where everybody got COVID. I mean, maybe 1% of the population somehow has escaped getting COVID, but how would they even know? Notice they don't do serology testing anymore. They used to because they wanted to scare everybody. They did serology, meaning blood testing, in New York City in June of 2020. You know what it showed? That 20% of the city in June of 2020 had already had COVID. One in five. What do you think it is now? Three years later. Okay. We're going to, we're going to come back to this in a second because there's more. There's more. And there's other people too. Other residents of Anacostia who are the, it's by the way, the whole thing is so condescending. They're going into 
a a minority predominant neighborhood, mostly African American residents in Anacostia, and they're doing this whole oh you're so vaccine hesitant. We're just going to provide you, we, Fauci and the D.C. government, we're going to provide you with the facts. And then your your silly little vaccine hesitancy will go away. Some of these residents, I mean, I know what they wanted to say, and they were right, and I can't say it on radio because I'd have to get bleeped. That's what they think of Fauci and his absolutely preposterous argument that's offered up here. So, I, I mean, I, I guess I was cheering for some of these people in Anacostia and, and it was, it was a proud moment to see them stand up, make a, cause this is the biggest health authority in the country. They're on camera too and they know it. It's amazing. My friends, how do you meet the demands of a very busy week ahead? Getting rest on your weekends is a good start, but you need something more than that. How about we get you set up with chalk natural supplements? Chalk, which is spelled with a Q, by the way, puts their focus into having both the drive and energy to maximize your everyday. A big part of that is having the right levels of testosterone in your system. Most men don't realize it, but their testosterone levels are far below what they should be. Studies show the average American man has 50% less than the average male in 1973, 50 years ago. Chalk's leading all-natural ingredient in their male vitality stack replenishes 20% of that testosterone in three months' time. Given the importance of testosterone to having normal energy levels and stamina, Chalk has the right answer for you. Get set up online now at chalk.com. That's C-H-O-Q.com. Get 35% off any Chalk subscription for life when you use my name, Buck, B-U-C-K, in the purchase process. That's the promo code Buck, B-U-C-K, when you go to Chalk, C-H-O-Q, you'll get 35% off for life. Subscribe to CNB 24-7 and never miss a minute of Clay and Buck while getting behind-the-scene access to special content for members only. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2 of the award-winning film podcast and this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny. The warmth of Fredo and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic. And then Carmen and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. On Purpose is dedicated to helping you be happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how he got comfortable with fear, navigating the changes in relationships, and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. This conversation shows a never-seen-before side to Orlando Bloom and his unique life journey. I think we all struggle sometimes to really deeply believe that we are enough that we're valued, that we're valuable. You know, we're imprinted by our parents from the age of zero to seven, right? Mm. I'm constantly trying to go like, how do I detach from my, this idea of what, is that that my baggage? I look like my baggage. I mean, I know, okay, that's mine. Let's unpack that. 
Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. Very important update for you all on that Fauci click. Just to be clear, that's all very real, obviously. PBS has been blasting it out everywhere. It is about to debut. But Fauci's visit was in the summer of 2021. So we're now just seeing, and this is fascinating because, first of all, even more credit to the individual. (laughs) That was, it was even earlier in the process. He wasn't making those arguments. I figured this was recorded in, you know, this sometime uh, earlier this year. He wasn't making those arguments you know, after we've seen what an abject failure. He was making those arguments very early on. He was making those arguments when there was a lot of pressure, when all the data we had being provided by the CDC suggested you won't get it, you won't spread it if you get the shot, as we know that. I mean, the whole it stops the spread was a, a total lie, abject failure, nobody Nobody even argues otherwise anymore because that's everybody you know who got COVID, you know, uh, had the shot practically, right? So, I mean, everyone that I know who got vaccinated got COVID anyway. So the notion that it doesn't stop the spread. Then they said, oh, it makes it so much less bad. But I, I think this is fascinating. They're still releasing this Fauci uh, video. And you see how, I mean, this is part of this big PBS frontline special. PBS trying to, they should pull this thing, right? I mean, they sound horrible in retrospect. Fauci, Mayor, uh, Mayor Bowser of, um, of DC. They sound terrible. And this was what they were saying to people the summer of 2021. And in fact, it, it gets even worse. Here is Fauci essentially calling out. If you were wondering, does doc, did Dr. Anthony Fauci then and in the summer of 2021? And I assure you now as well, he's still popping up. He's still giving speeches everywhere and, you know, Wants to be on TV and the whole thing. Did Fauci have true contempt for red states that held the line against his Fauchism and refused to mandate shots, etc.? Okay. What did Fauci really think of them? This is the first number. This footage all just came out today, which is why, but it is, it is from summer of 2021. Here is Fauci play 29. What are we going to do about those other states? Oh, my God. They're going to keep the outbreak smoldering in the country. It's so crazy. I mean, they're not doing it because they say they don't want to do it. They're Republicans. They don't like to be told what to do. And we got to break that, you know, unpack that. It's Republicans' fault. I I want you to be very clear what you heard there from Fauci. When, when Biden had elevated him, we're going, that, that audio comes from about June of 2021, going into the period where they went from, please get the shot, which is what this was. And by the way, that gentleman still was, was amazing with his, what are you talking about? Like, this is, this is crazy. I'm not doing this. He was totally right. You know, he should, you know, he's, that guy was phenomenal, but they went from, please get it to, you're going to get it or else you're going to lose your job. 
And you want to know how that transition happened? It happened because Dr. Fauci and others like him really believed, it seems, that if you didn't get the shot, you were a danger to your fellow human beings and you were being reckless. Now, that's a really big allegation to make against somebody. You know, that's a really big deal. And you take this in, into a court of law context. If you indict somebody for murder and you hold them for, you know, and, and you and you won't let them out, you you remand them in custody, you hold them for months before their trial. And then it comes out that they were, you know, they didn't commit the murder in in you know Los Angeles. They were in Cleveland that night. Right. I mean, totally innocent. I, I think you owe them more than just, hey, um, you know, new information came in. So we were right. Well, no, you weren't right. And that's where Fauci is on this. It's just new information came in, man. No big deal. No, it's a huge deal because he really thought that people who didn't want to get the shot were being monsters. I'm going to watch this whole PBS documentary, uh, which is going to be brutal. But these are things that I do for you out of love. I'm going to watch this documentary and uh, and just... It's going to drive me up the wall. But yeah, summer 2021, Fauci, a window into his thinking. Everything he said was wrong. Everything they, they went door to door in D.C. And everything they were telling people has now, as we've seen, turned out to be false. Any apologies? Have they raised any of that at all? No, they have not. No, they have not. No, they think that they were heroes, actually, in this process. Senator, uh, I'm sorry, not Senator, Governor. Ron DeSantis spoke about the possibility of a Trump arrest. There were a lot of people calling for that over the weekend. We'll discuss that. Where are we on this looming, maybe going to happen, uh, indictment and arrest of Donald Trump? Um, what would the extradition from Florida to New York look like? There's a lot of stuff going on. We'll talk about that in the next hour. Also want to hear from you about the politics on this, what you think it means. 800-282-2882. Hour 3 is coming up. Can't believe it's already here. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie. Because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to More Than a Movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like I want to confront anything in my life that feels challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's Reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts.